0: Hey guys, this is Abel here with the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast, and in this episode I'm very excited to bring on Sarah Doyle from Better Life Project, who represents a field or a niche that at the moment is a rather unique one, but I think in the future it will become more and more important. So she's not a bodybuilding prep coach or a weightlifting coach or a dietitian. she's actually involved with something quite a bit more complex than that, as she's a life coach. So... What she does is she helps people to improve themselves in all areas as a person so it involves developing a more positive mindset and habits that are conducive to a good life new ways of interpreting things that are happening to them such as failures or setbacks and besides that she's also helping them to improve their bodies i mean our body is the machinery that gives the foundation to the whole system so getting our diet in checked and lifting heavy is pretty much non-negotiable And I'm really glad that I got in contact with her because I really think that it's important to show people that general self-improvement and personal development and being healthy and fit are not at all mutually exclusive, but rather on the contrary are very much in alignment. So anybody who claims that you can live the best life you can while completely ignoring your body is pretty much delusional and Anybody who focuses solely on fitness and the body while ignoring other aspects of personal development is kind of missing the mark. So in this podcast, I talked with Sarah about how she approaches life coaching and how she helps people to become better, stronger, more resilient and simply more skilled at living a good life. And one of the overarching theme of this episode is that being positive, ambitious, and having a positive outlook is very much a skill that you need to train. And if you spend many of your years as a cynical, negative person, then be prepared that it will take some training and rewiring until you learn to think and act differently. And I mean, I'm certainly speaking from personal experience here because, I mean, I lived a good chunk of my life as an incredibly negative pessimistic and cynical person and it took me many months of conscious practice essentially to change the way i see things in life and i'm still working on it so if this is something you're interested in i think this episode can be of help for you so i hope you enjoy it again look at the description under the video if you're watching this on youtube to see the timestamps, and hang tight until the end because i will summarize the biggest takeaway points from this episode and yeah, let's get into this episode with Sarah Doyle. Sarah Doyle, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you because um, your interest uh, seems to be similar to mine in that you're, you're into fitness and you you like squatting heavy and do uh, all this cool stuff. And at the same time, you're uh, really into like general self-improvement and, you know, Heck, uh, cracking the code for happiness and all that good stuff so, so i'm excited to talk to you and so for people who may not be familiar with you um would you outline your background and and what you do and basically what your professional life consists of these days
1: okay awesome firstly thank you for having me it's so great to be able to talk with you um i, I do think that we share a lot of common interests i um, trying to summarise the last few years, basically everything that's gotten, to me, gotten me to this point. Okay, so um, I used to work as a project manager um, in a human rights international development um, sector, and I was extremely passionate about what I was doing when I first started, but then as the stress levels went up and the anxiety levels went up, I realised that I no longer loved what I did. And I was faced with this internal conflict of how do you let go of what you thought you were most passionate about? How do you let go of that label that you've given yourself or that people have used to describe you? And it was um, a very, very difficult thing to do, particularly because life coaching and the prestige of my last job were, they were so different. People respected and understood the security of a full-time nine-to-five job but they didn't understand what a life coach was and why I would be compelled or why I would feel the need to leave that to become a life coach, someone who would help people become more confident and it it was a, a difficult decision to make but I always remembered sitting down when I was a young kid or a teenager and all I wanted to be able to do was just to motivate people and help them feel better about themselves. And for, for a while I did that through human rights, but it just never fulfilled me in the way that I am fulfilled now. So The Better Life Project came to be um, after I met my partner in crime and the love of my life, James. Um, He one day looked at me and said, Sarah, why aren't you life coaching anymore? You know, your job is good, but it's clearly not making you happy. What's going on? So I eventually started to dabble in life coaching again, and my happiness levels went up because I had this awesome thing going on on the side and eventually after about 15 months I was able to leave my job, my old job, to work on the Better Life Project full-time. And because of my passion for fitness and for good quality food, it just made sense that I would take a holistic approach towards a person's personal growth or development, um, towards supporting them and helping them achieve their professional or personal goals. And when I talk about exercise and food, it, it has nothing to do with weight loss or weight management and everything to do with supporting people be as happy as they can be. I know what it's like to feel stuck in a rush and trapped and lost and I know how powerful food can be to support us feel better about ourselves and I know how powerful exercise can be to help us connect with our strength and our agility and our mobility. And it's for those reasons that I support and get excited about exercise and, and, and nothing to do with weight loss. And I always feel that I need to get that across because I talk about exercise and food quite a lot on my social media or basically to my community. Um, but it's simply because it makes us and has so much potential to increase our happiness. So basically, as a life coach with the Better Life Project, I help people achieve their goals. Um, as a result of my experience, um, my life experience, um, a lot of the time, I'm helping people become happier and more confident. I'm helping them become more positive. And um, I guess what it's like to feel stuck and trapped and basically really crap about yourself. Um, so with that experience combined with some pretty awesome tools and strategies, I help people just feel better about themselves.
0: Yeah, and and you know, like I think I think the reason why it's so cool that you do what you do is because. Fitness and and kind of like life coaching or or you know like trying to be happy are two topics that I think a lot of people develop a lot of kind of cynicism towards. You know, fitness for people who are not super into fitness is something that only shallow people pull do and like the meatheads do only and and kind of like self improvement and self development is kind of viewed as as this thing these things that these. You know, happiness gurus uh, talk a lot, lot about, and certainly there are a lot of kind of snake oil salesmen out there who are are doing these kind of things. Um, so, what I would be curious about is: did it take a lot of courage to to put yourself out there as someone who kind of claims responsibility for other people's confidence and happiness and these kinds of things?
1: <laughs> yeah. it, it, one of the hardest things I think I've had to do was embrace wholeheartedly the new direction that i was going in which was i want to be a life coach and that entails working with people and means that i work with people to help make them happier and that to be honest there, I, I didn't feel a responsibility um for other people's happiness i felt an excitement and i felt hope and i felt optimism but the the biggest i guess um the scariest piece was accepting that my new job was going to be a life coach if that makes sense Um, Mm. i I talk quite openly about ego and how my ego prevented me from getting into this journey a little bit faster because i enjoyed the prestige and the um how how much people understood what I did in my last job. Like it was very easy to say I'm a project manager in Trinity College, um, and it was very hard for me to transition to. Well, I'm a life coach and I'm self-employed. Um, that was the the hardest and the scariest thing that I've ever had to do. I I get excited when people want to work with me to become happier and to achieve their goals and to become more confident because. I've done it, so I know how to do it. And at this stage I've worked with so many people to do it. I know what works and what doesn't. And I just feel so excited for the person, so proud of the steps that they're prepared to take. Um, I don't think that there's anything better than trying to fight for your happiness. Every single day we work hard on so many things in life that do not bring about authentic happiness. So we have the capacity and the ability to work hard at something. Working hard for your happiness and making a mistake, working hard for your happiness or failing, these are brilliant things to happen because it brings us closer to understanding what authentic happiness means for us. Um, So I would rather support someone work to happiness, work for happiness and fail than not do it at all. Um, It's it's an incredible um, privilege or honor to help people figure that stuff out. So I get excited by that. It doesn't scare me at all.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I think I think it's so cool that in this day and age, it's possible to have people like you that help people with these kind of things, especially because there are so many people. I mean, everybody comes to this world, you know, wanting to live a good life and be happy. And I think it's easy to get uh, overwhelmed by kind of the day to day hardship that accumulates over time. And that is enough to have people deviate from their path to living a good life and you know even just sometimes talking to a friend and that friend giving a a different perspective on on these things can completely transform the experience and basically you're doing this as a profession it sounds like so um, what I would be curious about is um, I mean let's get down to the core of it let's say a client comes to you how does it typically look like that client is is struggling with some life issues some confidence issues how is your assessment and kind of looks like
1: okay so usually the the people that come to me are people that have experienced something very similar to me so i think with life coaching you attract a lot of people who are very similar to you because they're the people who understand your message and they're the people who get what it is that you're saying so typically when i work with people they lack meaning they lack purpose They are very, very stuck in a rut, uh, and they don't like themselves very much. And they have no confidence to try new things. So that's typically what someone who works with me will look like in terms of trying to create a roadmap to help them move forward with their life. It starts with helping them and trying to encourage them to understand that their confidence and self-esteem, happiness or positivity is a skill. And the more you practice it, the better you get. So I often liken it to the gym And when you first walked into the gym, you weren't able to do all of the movements perfectly the first time around. You had to practice them. So I often say to some of the girls or guys I work with, you're not going to load 100 kilos onto a bar, walk out, and all of a sudden be able to squat it. So why do you think that your happiness, success, or positivity is the exact same? You're not going to be able to load everything into one basket and understand what to do with each and every element of that perfectly we're going to need to develop this skill a little bit in order to help you understand what it truly is and help you get it a hundred percent. So it's about taking very, very small steps and, with happiness quite often we forget that being happy doesn't mean that we've eliminated all of the negativity from our life it just means that we know how Uh to manage it and it means that we see the silver lining at the end so it means that we are able to bounce back And, and quite often and I blame Hollywood for a lot of this we think that happiness are those cheerleaders that you see in American movies bouncing around screaming and giggling and that's one expression of what happiness is but it doesn't have to be my expression or your expression happiness can be experienced felt and expressed in many many different ways so quite often we have to break down and dismantle what a person actually thinks happiness is provide what I do is a very clinical outline of what happiness actually is and then allow them space to be able to figure that out for themselves by taking small steps by understanding that it is a skill and you will get better at it the more you practice it
0: Yeah, and I I think I I like the way I like that you're phrasing it that way, because I think when you conceptualize happiness and positive thinking and all these things as a skill that you need to practice, then by definition, you wouldn't expect your life to change with one grand gesture, like going to a seminar or making a New Year's resolution, because that's what people expect, right? I mean, um, they conditioned themselves for years to be cynical and laziness and procrastination, all these negative habits. You wouldn't expect that to change overnight, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and we, we practice cynicism and we practice negativity. And we practice, I use, so one of the tools that I use uh, to support people increase happiness and confidence are affirmations, mantras. Call them what you will. They are the dialogue with the conversations that we have in our head that support a belief around a particular thing. Um, and every single day we practice the same affirmation, I'm worthless, I'm not good enough, he'll never like me, I won't get that promotion. We practice negativity and cynicism to a point where we master the skill we are so good at beating ourselves up when something doesn't go wrong we are so good at assuming the worst of any situation that we just need to change that record a little bit and the beauty of it is is that our brains are what we call neuroplastic so we can reprogram them to support different beliefs and a different way of thinking about things. And again, this comes back to it being a skill. The more we do it, the better we get. And that skill from a, I guess, a neuropsychology point of view is that our brain is slowly developing new pathways and new ways of doing things. Um, So...
0: Yeah, and and I mean, technically, it is what happens, right? Because myelination, right? That is like literally a process where your brain is like Essentially, getting acclimatized to doing certain things as opposed to other things. So it is a technical uh, description, um, and um, you know, and, and it's funny because you know when when someone who is having all these issues developed the wrong habits for years, and then that person looks at someone like you know Anthony Robbins who is you know like crushing it and is super positive about everything. That is almost the equivalent of like an obese person who has never exercised in his life looking at someone who is like working out for two hours a day and squatting two hundred kilograms and wanting to be there next week like realize that you essentially developed almost like emotional and mental obesity or I don't even know how to uh, analogize it um so you mentioned uh, these these mantras and um little almost like it's almost like almost seems like a mental, emotional maintenance kind of routine that you uh, go through with people. Can you uh, talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so I call it um, emotional or spiritual first aid. And the idea is that... (laughs) We all have this, what I refer to as an inner mean girl voice or an inner mean boy voice. And it's basically the person that criticizes us, gives out, beats us up when we've done something wrong. And he or she is the person that says, you're fat, you should go to the gym, no one is going to love you until you lose 10 pounds you missed your squat, that means that you're worthless, you'll never be good at anything. So that's our inner mean girl or our inner mean boy voice. And it's basically a set of beliefs that we have developed over time around our abilities and around our worth. And we have developed this dialogue and these conversations. And we have these statements that we constantly come back to and um, that we say about ourselves when things don't go according to plan. So Quite often what happens is when we identify that inner mean girl voice, or that inner mean boy voice, we think that we need to get rid of it straight away. We think that that inner mean girl voice is a B. Bee- Can I say a bad word?
0: Oh, go, go for it.
1: Okay, cool. Sorry, I wasn't sure. We think our inner mean girl voice is an absolute bitch and we need to get rid of her. We need to beat her down. And I look at that and I go, that's fundamentally flawed. What you are trying to do is to eliminate a part of you because you think it's bad. Whereas what we need to do with that inner mean girl voice is actually embrace her and show her love. That inner mean girl voice represents our inner mean boy voice represents fear insecurity a part of us that is threatened a part of us that is scared and we're trying to get rid of that self-acceptance is about looking at looking at the good and the bad and embracing both of them it's not about going oh i only want the good the bad stuff can fuck off it's about going the good and the bad is there and i embrace it together and that means that we need to look at our inner mean girl voice and go hey, what's up? I know that you're there. I can see that you're in pain, but I'm gonna try and make this better. But you're gonna be okay. And that's the affirmation that we need to practice. We need to remind ourselves, I am enough. I am going to be okay. And if anyone out there pooh-poohs the idea of an affirmation, we've been using them, you've been using them for a very, very long time. The only problem is, is that you've been using it to make you feel worse. You've been using it to make you feel fairly crap about yourself. So we need to be able to create a new affirmation to target that set of negative beliefs to support you actually feel good about life again. It's, um, it's a very self-compassionate piece.
0: And, yeah, and, and just to hammer this home even more, because yeah, as you said, people are very skeptical about these, these concepts because they sound kind of woo-woo at first. Um, but I, I guess the key, key thing here is that um, these affirmations are also leading to certain actions which are which are then transformative. So, so do you also help people on the, the action taking side and, and give like specific advice on, on what to do?
1: and that's at the heart of what life coaching or coaching is, is that it's it's targeting the set of beliefs that lead to the action, creating a set of beliefs and holding the person accountable to the action. So it's a fundamental piece of coaching. It's a very future-focused practice. And in order to solidify this new set of beliefs or this new affirmation, I'll quite often go, okay, so you don't think that you're enough, and you say this to yourself constantly. The belief is, I am not enough. The new affirmation is, I am enough. I am going to be okay. What do we need to do? what does your behavior need to be to show yourself that you are enough or that you are okay? So quite often it could be mirror talk. For example, they stand in front of the mirror, they repeat to themselves over and over again, I am enough. I'm going to be okay. It could be, um, going into the gym and trying something without fear of failure or without fear of being judged for making a mistake. So yes, there will 100% always be an action or a behavior to follow it up in order to solidify this new belief. And it's a fundamental part of this whole coaching thing we, we there's no point in just talking about all this stuff. I say it to my clients all the time, you want to be more confident wearing that red dress, you put on the red dress. You put on the red dress and you dance around your apartment and you get comfortable and used to wearing a red dress. Then you put on the red dress and walk to the shops. Then put on the red dress and go to the pub. Then put on the red dress and go to the nightclub. But don't lose 10 pounds if you want to wear the red dress. You're enough the way that you are. Put on the dress now. So that's how we get confident. We take action.
0: Yeah, and so um, for like... How do you strike the balance between, you know, um, wanting to strive for improvement and wanting to be better, which I guess is fundamentally a a good goal to have and is a good pursuit to have to always try to improve, but at the same time, not beat yourself up and and don't feel feel inadequate just because you're not there yet. How do you um, try to strike the balance between, you know, being content with what you have and not wanting to improve and being ambitious still?
1: I guess the the idea, how I approach it is that ambition or wanting to be better should not be mutually exclusive to my body um, or to how attractive other people find me or how attractive I find myself. So be ambitious, strive for being better, demand a higher standard of yourself constantly constantly but you don't always need to express that through your body and you don't always need to express that through your attractiveness. So if I work with someone who wants to be better, I'm going, brilliant. Tell me how you want to you know, impact the world. Tell me how you want to help your family more. Tell me how you want to be able to be a kinder, more compassionate, more social human being. And they're going, Oh, but I only want to be better through my body. And I'm going, Okay, well, then that's the problem. The problem is is that you've identified yourself worth vis-a-vis your body, and you think the only way that you can be better or be more ambitious or be the version of you is when you look a certain way. So we can strike the balance. We just need to broaden our understanding of what it means to be better and understand why it is that we feel our body needs to be better and why that category of ambition is even important. There's healthy 100%. And I believe that everybody needs to exercise for happiness and for optimal well-being. But I don't think that striving to change our bodies or to have a better body is, I don't want to say valid, but I don't think it's at the heart of our development or growth as human beings. I don't think our life's work is to look better or to have a better body, or abs, or tight bum. I fundamentally believe that our life's work is to be able to make an impact on this world and do things that we're proud of. And I think that those things will be emotional and spiritual in nature. I don't think they'll be physical. I don't think it will be to look a certain way. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I'm glad that you finished on that thought, because this has reminded me of a question that I completely forgot to ask, because ultimate, ultimately, we're talking about happiness. And, and if that's what we're after, I guess it would be important to actually put some definitions of the term. And I know that you have some, some thoughts on this. So um, what would you define uh, as happiness? Is there even such a thing as definition when it comes to happiness?
1: Oh, 100%. (laughs) And I didn't come up with the definition. All of these awesome um, positive psychologists over in the States did. Happiness is two things. One, it's the experience of positive emotion like joy, uh, pride. And two, it's how well we progress towards our life's goals. So it's about movement. It's about constantly striving. Um, So it is Similar to what you were saying there about being better and doing better, but it's not purely through our bodies It's through that emotional and spiritual contribution or impact as well So it's when we experience positive emotion and that's the very subjective part of happiness happiness The definition is very objective. It's two things positive emotion and progress towards our life goals The subjective part of happiness is you might dig love more than I do You might be more excited about pride than I am but for me gratitude oh unreal when I think about things that I'm grateful for in my life you know I'll well up so that's the subjective part of it and that's the part that people always disagree on it's like no no this makes me happy and I'm going yeah of course it does because it's a positive emotion but it doesn't do it for me this does it for me um so we can define happiness very very clinically um and then we have so much space inside of that to go what's important for me is this But we're losing sight of the fact that you're moving towards it, and that's the part that makes you happy: the progress, the movement, the constantly walking towards something.
0: Yeah, and and it it kind of ties into the whole eudaimonian happiness model. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with that, but. It's basically about the whole concept of, of you know, basically generating happiness in, into your life by living a life that you feel like it makes sense and you're making a dent in the universe in some way. And... And and I know that um, for me, you know, moments like this, you know, doing this interview with you, bef- before these interviews, I always fe- feel tons of fear, tons of resistance, you know, so many things can go bad. You know, the internet connection can go bad or I could ask stupid questions and I could embarrass myself. I always feel tons of resistance, but ultimately these are the moments that afterward just make me feel so f- fulfilled. And yeah, and, and, and so I, would you agree that the reason why a lot of people almost fail to to step on a path of, of happiness is because a lot of the things that lead to a happy life are kind of involve an initial struggle, like something that, like a barrier that you need to push through.
1: Absolutely, there's that resistance that we experience when it comes to trying new things or to, um, so if we look at happiness and if, if everyone just imagines a plate or a, a circle in some way, 40% of that plate is going to be our um, genetics. So it's, it's things that we were born with. And 40, that 40% is our predisposition um, to happiness. 10% is our circumstances. And this is where a lot of people fall down on. When they look at happiness, they think that the majority of their happiness will be controlled by the things that they have or the things that they do. Whereas it's actually only 10%. So we spend up to, God, crazy. Like I look at some of my clients and I go, you're spending 90% of your time, energy, and resources working on 10% of your happiness. And they look at me and they go, oh my God, I've been doing it wrong all of my life. And I go, yes, so let's change it. Up to 50% of our happiness can be controlled by what we call intentional activities or happiness increasing um, strategies, like doing nice things for people, like um, practicing um, spirituality, like exercising, like creating goals, that sort of stuff. But we spend so much of our time just counting and collecting all of the things that we have, going, I've got the house, I've got the Gucci shoes, I've got the Michael Kors bag, I've got the abs, but I still feel empty inside. And I'm looking at them and I'm going, yeah, no, I I know you are. Because everything else, you're not accounting for that. You're not accounting for the stuff that you could do with your life and do so differently to help make you happy. So that pie chart is... Fundamentally, mind blowing. When I saw that for the first time, I just went, "I've been doing my happiness all wrong," and it just triggered something in my head. And I just went, "It's it's not about the stuff that I have or the stuff that I do with my money. It's about the connection that I make with people. It's about being kind. It's about setting goals that actually change the world. That sort of stuff." Um, God, it was it was it was mind blowing. So, happiness is something that we can define and understand very very well. People don't know how to do that because we live in a very materialistic culture that is obsessed with Michael Kors bags and fancy cars. And I blame social media for so much of it. So we just don't know how to do better because we've been conditioned for so long to think that our happiness is the sum of that 10%. And it's not. There's so much more to it.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I, I'm i glad you brought this up because um, there's a lot of, I you know, you hear a lot of different stuff about how many like what percentage of your happiness is under your control and the the 50% or or 40% that you just said is 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 actually one of the more positive numbers i, I have a friend who is a phd candidate in neuroscience and he said that 80% of happiness is genetic and i'm like oh man like <laughs> and 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 it's almost, and it's almost like i think regardless of what the science is saying i think it's it's everyone's best interest to believe even if incorrectly, but uh, to believe that the majority of what we can get from happiness is under our control. Yes,
1: absolutely. 100%. And it's it's about letting go of to appoint those circumstances that we've tried really hard to control. So it's about letting go of the job promotion and the fancy car and the big mortgage. And we can still strive for those things and have those things, but not rely on them so much to bring about happiness.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so, um, you know, when we talk about self, self-improvement and self-development and, and improving our lives, there is obviously a lot of areas in our lives that we can improve, and, and I know for myself, um, when I, I kind of make an analysis of all the things that I could do with my life, you know, in terms of social skills and fitness and whatever, I, I can't even dance. So I guess that would be a, a form of improvement. So it's almost like I, I realized that my appetite for self-improvement almost exceeds my capacity to do uh, the things because you can only do so, so much at one time. So when you help people, how do you like to guide them in deciding what areas to focus on first? First
1: usually they guide me i just help them articulate it a huge part of the work i do around self-esteem and confidence building will be self-acceptance and appreciation so accepting that where we are right now is a good thing that we are where we need to be in our life and then being appreciative of that it's very easy to fall into the trap when we're setting goals or striving towards development to um should to should all over ourselves or to feel like we must do something or to have very high expectations and it's um it's a very precarious line that we need to be very mindful of we need to be able to focus our primary efforts on accepting ourselves and being appreciative of where we are now and I believe it's very important to do that before we strive for development or growth. If we're striving for development or growth and we're being motivated by pain or hate or discomfort, we're not going to get very far in life. So by showing love and appreciation of where we are right now and then creating a goal to motivate us forward, we are going to be excited and happy and our brain loves positive feedback and our confidence is going to go up because we're doing things that we're good at. We're doing things and experience success. So the initial leverage that pain or discomfort might cause is very short term. So we'll only get so far before we need to come back and find what that love is again and find out what that thing is that we can gain. Um, so it's, it's it's for me the the primary thing is is acceptance and, and love and appreciation. And then let's look at development and growth.
0: Right. And uh, let's talk about something that uh, I, I believe I, I heard you touch on this in, in one of your videos, or maybe it was a podcast interview. But, um, you know, I, I would like to call it um, po- or motivational seminar syndrome, where people get very fired up about changing their lives. And then, you know, the gray everydays, you know, come and kind of reality hits and you have to wake up at 7 a.m. and go to work. And it's, of course, impossible to feel motivated all the time. So how do you like to guide through people in this process of, you know, doing the things that they need to do, even at times when they don't feel super enthusiastic and motivated?
1: Mm -hmm. That comes back to basic uh, goal setting or goal programming, as I like to call it, um, and understanding with clarity and confidence the plan and the steps that we need to take towards that. So motivation, again, it's a muscle, it's a skill. The more we use it, the better we get. So it's important that when we're motivated, we act. But if you find that you're a person who suffers from very low motivation, what you might need to do is look at your plan, you take one step every single day. When you're feeling super motivated, maybe you take two or three steps. And then when you're not feeling so good, when you're not feeling so motivated, you're still on track. So for me, the important thing is, one, understand in great detail the goal. Understand where you want to go, what steps you need to take, and understand what those smaller chunks are. So when I make goals or program for goals, I'll usually go on a 12-week timeline. Um, Again, that helps motivation sometimes if we work longer than that. We just get bored. We get restless. We're like, I haven't achieved anything. I'm going to give up now. And then self-sabotage kicks in. And then we reverse engineer that goal. So you ask yourself... What are the 12 little things that I need to do to show me that I'm moving closer to that goal? So I'll do this with my squat goal, for example, 150 kilos is the dream. What do I need to do to show me I'm moving closer to that goal? Create a series of sub goals. And when I hit those sub goals, I get so motivated and I get so psyched up because I feel like I'm moving closer to that. And I understand that every day I need to be able to create habits or patterns or behaviors to support this goal from a almost subconscious way so that i have healthy habits that actually support that happening so it's going to be mobilizing going to the gym drinking water making sure that i get enough protein sleeping recovering and things like that when you understand your goal in that level we don't always have to be motivated we don't always have to be fired up and ready but we understand that there is a small task that we do need to get done to support something happen so motivation I think is it's obviously so important it can sometimes be a little bit overrated and um, because we think that unless we have what we can't act so it kind of depends on on who you are and, and and this is why goal programming can be so subjective if you place a lot of value on motivation when you are motivated act do as much as you possibly can and then give yourself a break when you are not motivated if motivation isn't that important to you but confidence is the biggest thing one small step every single day build yourself up for success do something that you know you're going to be able to do well and that way you'll always have clarity and confidence and be moving in some direction
0: yeah and, and I guess regardless of your baseline motivational levels I think uh, I'm, I'm curious if you you see this with your own clients or, or if you experience this with yourself but um Looking back on past progress always makes it easier. So you know when when you see that you've accomplished something for you know for the past couple of months, and you see okay, I did this, this, and this, that is signaling to yourself and is an evidence that okay, I'm in fact capable of doing this because I've already done it. Right.
1: Absolutely, and that's you know if, if one of the most. Um, powerful, thing, powerful things that a person can do to increase their confidence is to look at past progress and go, Yes, I've experienced success. I'm competent. I can. I'm so much more excited about the next step and about the next part of my journey. So that's why we need to be able to program a goal very carefully and build someone up for success. If I have a client that looks at me and, and I don't do weight loss with my clients, but on this particular occasion I did, she wanted to lose five stone. And if she lost five stone, She would have turned around, and you would have seen it would have been a profile, and there wouldn't have been anything left of her. She she would have disappeared. And I'm looking at her, and I'm going, yeah, but when you don't lose five stone, you're going to feel so disheartened. It's never going to be enough. Two pounds a week is never going to be enough because you have such a grandiose goal. Let's build yourself up for success. So all of a sudden, five stone became five pounds. And she was successful. She lost two pounds. And she went, Sarah, I'm almost halfway. I'm almost halfway towards my goal. I'm doing such a good job. And I went, I know, because you can do this. But the condition on which you've based your success was realistic, was manageable and doable. And you feel good. So now you are excited to move forward. But if your goal was five stone, you'd look at that two pounds and go, it's not good enough. I failed. I don't know what I've done wrong. So... Past progress is so important um, when it comes to confidence building and and actually feeling motivated or excited or enthusiastic about about the final output
0: yeah yeah it's uh, i I had a similar thing the other day that you know i was focused on because i was one of those bros in the gym who never trained legs for a long time and 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 for a long time it's been a priority to bring up my legs and I, I, I realized that, okay, first, let's not focus on the big legs. First, let's just become comfortable, you know, frying my quads on the leg extension machine, because right now I'm completely not comfortable doing that. So let's start there. And that is, it's almost like an identity, right? I'm the kind of person who is comfortable frying my legs on, on the leg extension machine. So um, let, let's t- uh, talk about the practicality of this a little bit, because um, ultimately uh the goals that you achieve and the results you get will be determined by kind of like your daily habits um are you are you uh, placing a large emphasis on developing daily kind of uh, routines habits and rituals that kind of you can do on autopilot
1: mm-hmm. yeah 100% so a lot of the time a goal is is just a a, a different It's just a small thing that we can do towards building a lifestyle for ourselves. So when it comes to building goals around confidence, like that isn't just a fad. It's not something that we're just trying to do for Christmas and then all of a sudden we can revert back to feeling low confidence and low self-esteem. When we create a goal around our health, our happiness, our confidence, and our self-esteem, it's not just a 12-week fad. It's not just, oh, I need to be confident for this one day and then I can go back to feeling really bad about myself or i just want to be able to run a 10 kilometer race and then i can go back to food and really lazy and getting the bus everywhere it's a lifestyle so we will 100 percent benefit from having healthy habits to support us have a healthy permanent long life <laughs> longevity um So it's about identifying small things that we can do every single day. Tony Robbins says it all the time. Small habits build success. Small habits build this life that we've always wanted. So get the person, get the client, get the person that I work with to go, well, what do you think that you need to do every single day to support that happen? And they might go, "Um, I don't know, maybe I need to go to the gym. And I'm going, okay, well, think about this realistically. Are you going to go to the gym every day? Probably not. No. So what could you do every single day? Um, I could drink two liters of water. And I'm going, brilliant. Yes. Let's get to the point where you can drink two liters of water and you don't even know that you're doing it anymore. Let's get to the point where you will walk outside your apartment block, see the sun shining, and you just walk to work. You don't think about whether or not you have enough fare in your pocket for the train or the bus. You just go. Let's get you to the point where you win and you have a healthy and nutritious breakfast. Let's get you to the point where you can get changed, see your reflection in the mirror, and go, oh my god, you're fabulous, you badass, you. Like, let's get to that point. So 100% habits are crucial because the goal, whether or not it's confidence, self-esteem, health, or fitness, is a lifestyle it's creating a permanent and positive set of beliefs around your abilities and around your worth. And habits are so super important.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I love all these things that you shared and, and just before we slowly start to wrap up, let's, um, I want to, I want to pick your brain about something, um, that is very near and dear to my heart. And I saw you upload a video on this, and that is the topic of failure. And, and and there is first the initial fear of failure and then is the unfortunate times when failure actually happens and mess ups happen. Because if, it's, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, right? So first, let's talk about the fear of failure. Um, how do you advise people on that? And what do you think is a good kind of philosophical approach to take about the fear of failure?
1: I love me some failure. <laughs> I think... <laughs> we have so much to learn from failure and from mistakes so the first thing that i will always do is to help people see how beautiful failure actually is i would rather be the person out there making mistakes falling failing being judged or being rejected than the person who was on the the sidelines of life, wondering, wishing or hoping what life would be like if they actually did something. So I'd rather be out there getting down and dirty with my goals, with my dreams and with my vision because I'd rather be the person who's always trying. And that is something that I've believed right from the beginning. January of this year up until September of this year I refer to as my shit fest so it was not a good it was not a good time for me personally or professionally I struggled in so many ways and I had to have some really difficult conversations around some really hard things but I never once feared failure because I knew that if things didn't work out now, that I would have so and so much fun fundamental problem with our society is that we have allowed people to think that failure is a bad thing. We have allowed people to internalize and over-identify with failure. We live and we support a fixed mindset mentality around our growth and development, around our experience and opportunity to the point where if we fail at something, if we see a person fail at something, we go it, it didn't work out, just try something different. No, it didn't work out, you find a new way of doing it. You find a new way of expressing a message, a new way of doing the same thing. You stand up and you keep going. And I say this to my clients all the time, heels in, head up, heels in, head up. You fail, brilliant, you found one way to not do something, but there's a million other ways that you can do something failure is just a message and if we listen carefully we will see what that message is and become one step closer to success Um, and, and failure is something that I feel so passionate about as well and when my clients fail and I do this with my clients quite a lot I actually design stuff with them so they will fail so they will make a mistake so that they will experience judgment and rejection it's exposure therapy if you're afraid of failing then fail fail so that you can see that's not that bad fail that, so that you can learn that you will stand back up again fail so that you will realize that there is so much more there in failure to learn and to grow than there ever will be from your success um and and there's far too many of us scared of doing that and and we need to we need to start to change our beliefs around it very quickly
0: yeah 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 and 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 um i mean i just to echo your sentiment i mean i I heard uh something from an entrepreneur that I I really admire which was that he collects his failures in in a document and he if he doesn't get at least four or five failures per month then he's not satisfied because that means that he's not trying enough things and I yeah and and, and so inspired by that I started doing the same and um I I have about six more days to have at least two more failures so I'm I'm uh, at the moment I'm actually not satisfied and and yeah like exactly right i mean all the successful people if you look at their biography it is with tons and tons of setbacks and mess ups the the final thing on on this this um point is that when i mean ultimately it will happen you have a client who writes to you in despair like oh my god i was on track with my diet but i just ate a jar of peanut butter or something like that (laughs) what what do you because as we know, being on track and gaining momentum and being in a flow, that's easier once you're there. But bouncing back after a mess up, that can be very, very challenging. So what do you advise them in these kind of situations?
1: This is, um, I'm, I'm actually smiling because this happened to my client from yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> basically, and, and this is the only client that I actually work with on on a weight loss goal. So it's, it's incredible that you said that. Um, oh, self-compassion hmm. for me is is the biggest, biggest thing. Quite often when we have a goal and we fall short of that goal, we beat ourselves up and our inner mean girl voice or inner mean boy voice gets very, very loud and they start affirming our weaknesses, our vulnerability, our mistakes, um, all that sort of stuff. Whereas if you take a moment to picture a young person who you absolutely adore and love in your life, it could be a son, a daughter, a niece or a nephew, and I want you to imagine that they just had a sweet. Um, they, they just had a piece of cake. And then all of a sudden they grab their belly and they go, oh my God, I'm so fat. I'm such a failure. I'm going to have all of the cake now. You wouldn't turn around to that young six or seven year old and go, Oh, Jesus, love, you are a bit fat. Now, let's put you on a diet. It'll start with fasted cardio tomorrow. And then we're going to severely restrict your calories by up to 600. Now, you'd never, ever in your wildest dreams say that to a seven-year-old. You wouldn't say that to your best friend. You wouldn't say that to your sister. But we do it to ourselves all of the time. We are humans. We are going to make beautiful, wonderful mistakes, but it's how you pick yourself back up again that will define how you move forward, not the actual mistake. So, yeah, start fresh, clean slate tomorrow. You made a mistake. You're human. Well done. I was wondering there for a while. You were doing so good. I was like, am I talking to a demigod God, am I talking to a human? <laughs> it's perfectly yeah, yeah. natural and normal. So just start fresh tomorrow. It's, it's how you respond and react to that mistake that will define your journey as you move forward, not the actual mistake. Um, so this is where, I, again, I think it's very important that I learned this from one of my friends uh, who's a nutritionist. He said that whenever he's working with a client around weight loss, so it could be the same for anything, never restrict yourself in any way. Never say that you can't have the thing that you love the most in the world. So if you love peanut butter, how much peanut butter do you need to feel satisfied every day? a tablespoon then have your tablespoon enjoy it savor it but never deny yourself something that you love and that can be the same of, of any goal in the world never deny yourself of the things that you love never say that you can't have fun that you can't feel excited if a goal isn't fun you shouldn't be doing it. it, sh- it shouldn't be in your life if, if it's not fun if it doesn't bring you joy and pleasure life is far too short
0: yeah. Yeah, although I, I, guess, I guess there's a balance there because for me the amount of peanut butter that I need to eat to feel satisfied is like starts right around the jar. So uh, <laughs> Okay. But uh, but but I but I guess but I guess um like um having gaps is also fun. So it's like a it's like a balance between the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So um just before I ask ask you the very last question, um just uh please tell people where they can find you and and what kind of services uh, you have and and anything that you think people should check out
1: okay so you can find me at www.thebetterlifeproject.ie i'm on instagram at sarah underscore the better life project and you can find me on facebook at the better life project ireland and i offer i offer advice to people to help them achieve their um professional and or personal goals and most of that revolves around how people can become more confident how people can believe in themselves more so it's self esteem confidence and happiness that's the area that i love the most and it's the area that i work in the most confidence coaching to 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 kind of be quite um black and white about it um yeah
0: awesome and so uh, just just to to finish this interview which by the way it was it was great and and i think uh uh, yeah, yeah, I love the, the things that we we went through and the, the concepts you shared. So just before um, we close this call, if we can just give a couple of bullet points for people who maybe want to change their lives from today onwards uh, so that they can take action and, and get on the right path, uh, what couple of um, kind of takeaways uh, would you tell them?
1: Mm, okay. Be grateful. So um, whether or not you have a gratitude practice Um, it's important to be able to progress wherever we are. So if you don't express gratitude um, before you go to bed every night, write down three things that you're grateful for. If you already express gratitude, take it up a notch and be as specific as possible, but don't express gratitude for the same thing. Um, So always have something new and something different. Um, Stop beating yourself up. We are so incredibly mean to ourselves. So, so mean. It, it breaks my heart when I hear clients talk about themselves in the way that they do or friends or when I'm online. It, it, it Honestly, I just get so sad when I see the way some people talk to themselves, when, they see, when I see people condition their happiness and their success and their ability to feel beautiful in the world. Based off their abs, or how many likes they get on Instagram, or how many friends they have on Facebook, that stuff doesn't matter. And I don't care what social media influencer you think that you are, or what movie star that you think that you are. You're on your deathbed. Your tombstone is not going to say ten thousand followers. So why do we spend so much time thinking about that and wasting our beautiful energy on that? Social connections spend more time talking to people spend more time nurturing and developing friendships spend more time talking to your mom on the phone um so that sort of stuff so be grateful for the things that you have and if you think that you're grateful be more specific and never mention the same thing be kinder to yourself we beat ourselves up we are our own worst enemy but that never ever works i do this quite a lot at my workshops but when um i ask people When something goes wrong, do you beat yourself up? The whole room will put up their hands and I'll look at all of them and I'll say, and has that ever motivated you more? Has that ever made you feel good about yourself? And everyone puts down their hand. And I'm going, okay, so let's change the record. Let's be kinder to ourselves instead, because I promise you that will make a massive, massive difference. And then call your mom more and call your best friend more and actually dedicate time and energy to developing those relationships and showing those people how much you love them. Those three things are mind-blowingly simple, but they will just make such a massive impact to our lives
0: awesome mm-hmm. yeah I, I will summarize this point in the in the description just just so people can come back and read it quickly at any time awesome. they want uh, yeah, <laughs> this was awesome yeah i mm-hmm. i, I love it and uh, yeah sarah thank you so much for coming on
1: thank you it was an absolute pleasure i really enjoyed talking with you
0: all right guys i hope you enjoyed this episode with sarah i really liked talking with her i think that her presence just radiates such a cool positive vibe and I won't be making any smart-ass comments like, I'm jealous of her boyfriend. But seriously, I wish I had a lot more people like her around me all the time. So just before you go, let's look at the two important lessons from this episode. Uh, Number one is don't view your personality, how happy you are, how motivated you are, how confident you are as some God-given gift. Instead, think of it like a muscle that you need to train over time. I think we tend to, once we get to a certain age, just put ourselves in a box and think, okay, I'm just like this, I've been pretty unhappy up until now, I don't have much confidence, etc. And we tend to settle for, well, that's just who I am. And I think that when we hear these super intelligent phrases like, oh, just be yourself, or why would you pretend to be something you're not? It can encourage us to think like that even more. But really, and I expressed my views on this beforehand, I think that that kind of belief is very self limiting and it just doesn't serve you in any way. So I think it's really in your best interest to just think about your mindset and your personality like you think about a muscle, like the long head of your triceps. (laughs) It's something that usually takes some extra effort to train, and most people ignore how to train it right, right? I mean, most people don't realize that tricep pushdowns and close grip bench presses don't target the long head of your triceps effectively. And similarly, they ignore that changing yourself and the way you think requires you to be proactive about it and monitor things like your daily routines and even some of your vocabulary for a long time. And if you decided to make a change, and become a better version of yourself and within a week you don't see these amazing results don't get discouraged this all a matter of practice and repetition so that would be the first big lesson for me the second one is think about failure like an outcome of an experiment you just ran in a lab it's something that first means that you tried something with inherent risk which is already a good thing because it means that you're willing to push beyond what's safe and as a second point Every single failure gives you a guideline as to what paths not to pursue or pursue differently. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not like I'm immune to this. I'm full of insecurities and fears when trying something new. And when it fails, of course, I feel like I've been punched in the face. But at the same time, I realize the value in pursuing new things and taking risks. And that's why I started to keep a log of my failures and actually try to collect more and more every month. And thereby, I almost force myself to take risks and go through the fire a little more. So these were my two big takeaways. View your personality and your mindset as a muscle that you need to train and shape to your desire with enough practice. And view failure as something positive that you don't need to fear. And the underlying premise behind both of these ideas is a growth mindset or a growth-oriented thinking, which believes that Your future is in your hands and not in some genetic predisposition or something like that. So I hope you enjoyed this interview. Check out Sarah's stuff on betterlifeproject.ie. And you can also find her on YouTube with the name Better Life Project. If you like what you heard in this uh, podcast and you enjoy this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes. If you watch this on YouTube, subscribe to support this show. And yeah, I think that was all.